Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Kingdom Casts, the podcast that never really liked Woody Allen to begin with. Joining us once again is Sandra Sea Serpent Swindle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Stan Daniel. With me, as always, is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. Want to know what I learned this week? No. <laughs> well, you're going to. Sandra, okay. would you like to know what I learned this week? <laughs> sure. I learned that. If, God forbid, God forbid, anything happens to my wife, Denise, like aliens grab her or she comes to her senses and leaves me, that I'm going after a Texas girl next. Oh, God. What? Yep. If they're this overwhelmed by two inches, can you imagine what four would do? Oh, Lord. Stan! (laughs) God! Moving on. Yeah, but... (laughs) I'm just saying, shock and all, man, shock and all. <laughs> we had another great week of listenership last week. I know I sound repetitive saying this, but I don't want the listeners, the audience, to think that we take them for granted. We really don't. The one thing that is bothering me, though, is we, and, and I don't know if bother is the right word, I'm more curious about it than anything else. We still have two listeners listed in Moscow, Russia. First off, I thought we were referring to it as St. Petersburg after the fall of communism, but apparently I'm wrong. Sandra, what do you know about this? What do you know about our two Moscow listeners? I don't know anything about them. (laughs) I've always suspected it's probably somebody in an embassy or something. It could be some Russians. It's probably just people using a VPN. Every episode No, they wouldn't be for Russia. They'd be like in America, but it would say that they're from Russia. Every episode since sometime around October, we get two listeners that are listed as in Moscow, Russia. And I asked Sandra about it first because of her leftist tendencies, like working in a library. Oh, I mean, libraries are about the most communist socialist thing out there. You, Yeah, that's, you know, you got, really, they, what, that's really what the Russians are supporting. <laughs> they're a bastion Unlimited of liberalism. Li- that's right. There's nothing but, li- but free libraries in Russia. <laughs> well, the libraries push reading on an unsuspecting populace and make quote-unquote <laughs> suggestions to influence an unsuspecting public. Oh my Seriously, God. when was the last time you as a librarian, Sandra, recommended something like 120 Days of Sodom or American Psycho to a child? Have you ever? Nobody no. recommends those to a child. No. You see? You see, you people push a stuffed bear who believes in the concept of communal honey and Clifford the Big Red Dog. When you should Red be pushing dog. Atlas Shrugged. Exactly. Oh, yeah, kids use that like as a doorstop. That's about it. Librarians just disgust me is all. I just... <laughs> <laughs> you and your books. You and your, you and your <laughs> Dewey Decimal System. What is that? Well, now that may be the tool of the devil, but I don't know about that. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> 
I watched two different things. Oh, uh, what did you watch? First thing I watched was a series on Netflix called Crime Scene, The Vanishing at Cecil or Cecil Hotel. It's horrible. How can I describe it? This was in the news and on the internet. There was a thing where a woman was at a hotel, and the last footage they had of her was security footage of her acting weird around an elevator. The elevator. Shut. And, and then she, she, dis- she was an Asian woman, right? Yeah, and then she disappeared, and like a week or ten days later, they found her in the water towers Jeez. of the hotel yeah. because the water was coming out brown and tasting weird. Uh... So here's how this thing is structured. The interesting parts of it is they interview a woman that worked that was sort of like the hotel manager or something there at the time. They interview her and they talk about the history of the hotel and the area and Skid Row and all this stuff. That's interesting. The actual missing woman thing's not horribly interesting because that's a known thing. That's something that's already been resolved and wrapped up. So unless you just never heard of it, there's no new information there. And they interview police officers and people that worked on the case. But what they do extra is because this was such a thing on the Internet, they get people with YouTube channels, podcasts. They're like almost the main focus of the thing. And they're all horrible people. The podcasters and the YouTubers. Yeah, they're all like these horrible grifter leeches almost. And I don't know why they made or framed this documentary up like that. They're not interesting people. Personality-wise, you hate them all. Well, did they bring any new insight to how she no, ended no. up in the... Because oh, I'm very familiar are, with this. As far as they're concerned, she had mental problems anyway. We knew she was taking medicine. We knew she wasn't taking the amount of medicine she was supposed to be taking so she wasn't taking it. So for the most part, she just had probably a psychological break, freaked out on an elevator door because she couldn't get it shut because she hit the whole door open. Then somewhere in that, she just went up to the roof, jumped in the thing, and that was that. If you watch this extensively, there's a hell of a lot of footage of her descent into madness over this elevator. She gives an Academy Award-winning performance of talking to somebody once the elevator door is open. She was probably just talking to nobody, talking to herself. But yeah, people like that, you know, they just sort of talk to themselves and other people. The deal with the door being open is you look at the video of the door of where she's hitting buttons, and you take a picture of the buttons on the door. She hits the whole door button, and they said when you hit that, the door stays open automatically for two minutes. So. All right, yeah. But they add absolutely nothing to it, and instead they just slap a bunch of YouTuber and, yeah, and no-nothing podcasters. horrible people. And the reason I bring up the cops, well, the cops aren't too stupid in this. All the cops do is whichever people check the roof, they just didn't bother to check the water towers. I knew that from the other stuff. Yeah, they, I- they interview a, a guy that was a maintenance guy on the hotel, and he was the one that found it. He noticed the lid of one of the water tanks was open, so he went to check on it. Whenever he looked down in the thing, because the lid was open, he saw someone floating in there, and that's sort of it. And the reason I bring up the incompetence of the cops, which is very light this, because there's nothing really to solve outside. I mean, it's not a murder. It's just someone who had a psychological breakdown and killed themselves probably by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they they just had a break. They barely covered this one guy, and they do it just to sort of get this one theory because they waste time on all these, like, stupid conspiracy theories, and they're all bunk. They're all known garbage, but they let these people get on there and waste their time about it. But the, one of the things they did is somewhere in there, they blamed some heavy metal guy that was in a band or something. Yeah. And, and they was, oh, well, he's the murderer, or we thought he was the murderer. And it turned out that outside of him just
Davis sort of posting some videos where he stayed in that hotel one time that he wasn't even in the country when all this was going down. And they so, interviewed him just to sort of get his story out there and they gloss over it. But then people screwed up his life a lot. You know, so they brought Netflix, that guy a lot of suffering and pain through that. So Netflix made a documentary about the incident at this hotel and relied upon YouTubers and podcasters who know no more about the event at this hotel or anything else to fill in the gaps in this documentary. Is that right? Yeah. And like at the end of it, there's no, at no point in time as this goes on, do you think they're going to have like a negative message about all these people? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you sort of think they should have a negative message about all these people and they don't. There's like whatever on to the next thing. Oh yeah. It turns out she just had a psychological break and went crazy and jumped in a water tank and that was that. Oh, well, I, why, I don't. why they allowed these people to have any type of voice or anything on here for more than just a, a minute or two to show their stupidity? I don't know. It's poorly made. And it's, I think, four or five hours long because each episode's an hour long when the whole thing could have been maybe an hour and a half tops. Outside of being made poorly, it's also made horribly irresponsible. Look, it's one thing if you're interviewing the staff at the hotel. This guy here works as maintenance or has electrician at the hotel, and he was here the day that they found the body or whatever. But it's another thing to go get YouTuber Right Dead Zed 79 and his opinion is this. He's never been outside of the state of Utah, but let's treat it like it's valid. Well, then it's also just the attitude of these people. They all have sort of a crap attitude about the whole thing. Well, I've always almost, wondered. It. One guy almost, the way he describes being a YouTuber, it's like saying, I'm a world-renowned brain surgeon. Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm a YouTuber. Have you had your shots? <laughs> yeah, but y'all can, y'all can skip all that mess. Jeez. You see, I would have been I would have been predisposed to watching something like that, especially if they got me with the hook of that young woman, because I've followed that for a long time. And the reason I bring up the cop thing, and this is just sort of a separate tangent, but still part of that, if you pay attention to these crime documentaries that take place in L.A. or just L.A. County in general, they all have the cops being stupid and incompetent and very bad at your job. And it's not just one of them. It's every crime documentary in that area amounts to them being too stupid to figure it out or them destroying evidence or this one guy over here in this department's doing something and screws up them figuring out who killed people over here. Every single documentary, crime documentary involving the L.A. cops or the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, yeah, L.A. County, whatever, they all have that in it. It's sort of odd mm. that, that, that right. like every big crime in over there involves gross negligence on their behalf for the most part. That whole situation was very weird. Very unusual, but I'm not interested. If I want to hear what a YouTuber says about it, I can go to YouTube and type in the name of the hotel and listen to how the earth is flat. And that in turn affects the dynamics of the hotel. And that's why the girl crawled into the watershed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not interested. But in even then, they mention like no weird based on the location of the hotel and the fact that they always had super cheap rooms there that they rent out. Yeah. You always had people, all sorts of people in and out of that hotel every day. And it wasn't like it was we the look? first time a dead body had shown up in that hotel. It was just this time it was people was drinking that water. Did we lose Sandra after I accused her of being a communist? <laughs> no, it's not the kind of thing I was interested in. So I haven't seen it. No, this ain't even framed up like one of them white women things either. <laughs> oh. Jeez. Yeah, that's going to inspire me, Albert. <laughs> 
So how many of these episodes did you watch, Albert? I watched all of them. Oh, at some point, did you think this isn't something I want to watch? Maybe about 10 minutes into it. As soon as that guy came on, as soon as that guy came on, it was like, I'm a YouTuber. I was like, no, this ain't going to work. I followed that situation with that young woman for a while. I mean, so imagine something you can read about in 10 minutes, taking like four plus hours of your life away. And most of that, YouTubers. (laughs) But that's sort of it. Don't waste your time with it. It was obviously something that they had paid money for. And someone was like, well, I guess we got to put it out. We paid money for it. If I watch something, I typically want more information from it. I want to walk away with knowing a little bit more than I did going into it or a different perspective of something so far as these documentaries are concerned and they're getting more and more, how should we say? Desperate? Uh, yeah, desperate and on shaky footing. Their sources, <laughs> according to the psychic. <laughs> oh, it's a, oh, I see what you want. this about The Rock planning a presidential run? I wouldn't worry about that for the 20 years. Yeah. (laughs) If that's not a real thing. I saw it pop up on YouTube. I saw it in a thread and then I saw something on it under Hulu. I wouldn't worry about it. Is that not for that TV show he's doing? Mm -hmm. Oh, he's got a what TV show is he doing? The Young Young Rock. Young Rock. Yeah. Ooh, and he could use that Elton John song that has that line, I remember when Rock was young. His name is Pebble in this. (laughs) (laughs) It is not. Yes, it is. Anyway, I watched the second thing that's crime related. Or did you like look at our demographics and learn that we didn't have the female age 49 to 63 Caucasian market? And so that's why we're talking about crime mystery. For inches? <laughs> that was solid comedy. Center. No, it wasn't. It was yicky comedy. <laughs> I'm doing you a favor by calling it comedy. <laughs> what else did you watch, Albert? <laughs> Have I talked about the kid detective on here? I have not so, heard about the kid detective. So anyway, I was watching this YouTube channel about movie reviews and stuff. They did a quick review of a movie called The Kid Detective. So I was like, I'll watch it. So The Kid Detective is it's a movie movie, like just a normal movie. It's, uh, I guess, a comedy mystery drama thing. It was from last year. The movie is about a grown man named Abe Applebaum, a detective for hire or private investigator or whatever. He's sort of a loser. The reason for that is when he was a kid he was the town's kid detective and he'd solve crimes like who stole the fundraiser money who broke in the so-and-so shed just encyclopedia brown pretty much what he was then a, a horrible tragedy happened or thing happened where his assistant she got kidnapped and they never found her and he never got over that so he's a depressed individual roll forward 20 plus years then a kid has shown up stabbed to death in town and the kid's girlfriend wants him to solve who killed him so it's an oddball thing where it's funny but the serious parts are very serious the big finale of the movie when it all comes to a head is played completely straight 
It's a fantastic finale scene. It's only like an hour and a half, and I highly recommend it to anyone to watch. It is Who's not in it. Anybody the, that we know? The Abe Applebaum character's name is Adam Brody. He was in the Shazam movie as one of the adult versions of one of the kids. Maybe he was ever Captain Marvel Jr. Maybe he was the adult version of that. That matches, yeah. But he was in that movie. I don't remember if that's the one he played, but he was in the show I never watched, the OC, when he was younger. Adam Brody is Captain Marvel Jr. Or, yeah. as IMDB has him listed, Superhero Freddy. Okay. From the movie Shazam, yeah. What was the name of it again? The name of it is The Kid Detective. You can buy it or rent it digitally, but it's not on any of the streaming services. I don't know how you guys find this kind of stuff. I feel so mainstream, but I've been watching Snowpiercer and <laughs> Miss Scarlet and the Duke. I don't know where y'all find these. I guess on Netflix. You just kind of search around. A lot of stuff I go deep onto Amazon and do searches for. And if I find it even remotely appealing, I'll sit through it. I'll at least give it 15 minutes. And I can tell in 15 minutes, like uh, with Vivarium, is this going to be watchably bad? <laughs> Or is this just stupid, just outright dumb and annoying? And a lot of them turn out to be really, really quality stuff. There was this one movie on Hulu. It was actually... Wait, God, wait. I think it... Wait. Did you say turns out to be quality stuff? I may have. Okay. It just look... <laughs> I have a low threshold for entertainment. There's stuff that I will watch that I know is just absolutely horrible. Then there's stuff that I know other people will just outright hate, like Mother. But there's something very substantial there so far as the mythology and the storytelling build that's not going to appeal to the general population. Then I'll watch stupid things like documentaries on Image Comics and Chris Claremont. Now, I don't think those are really stupid. I really enjoy those. The two I've seen are very well done and have a lot to say. There's one movie that was on Hulu. I think it was Norwegian that had won all these awards. Earth was being evacuated, but it was not an, an emergency evacuation. It was an ongoing evacuation where they had already colonized. I think they had colonized Mars. Earth was just dying slowly and the humanity had to leave it. And a number of ships were flying casually back and forth, getting humanity to their new location. The spaceships were very much like cruise ships. They were very nice. They were very well put together. They had bars and dance clubs and stuff like this in them. But the one cruise cruise ship we follow, something goes wrong and it gets knocked off course. It takes very little to get me to click play, but it's got to grab me in the first 15, 20 minutes. Otherwise it's gone. Okay. I was going to watch that new Nicolas Cage movie. There's like, a new Nicolas Cage movie. What's it called? Like Willie's Adventure Land or something like that? See, I haven't even heard of that. The name of the movie that I was just talking about is The Aniera, and you spell it A-N-I-A-R-A. -A -A. It's a uh, 2018 film. Let me see. Was I right? Was it Norwegian? Swedish. Well, it's Swedish. Swedish of a Swedish poem, so I don't know. Swedish poem of the same name. Dystopian yeah. future with climate change, Earth to Mars. I think it's Norwegian or Swedish. It's in the, you have to read subtitles on that. This is one of those movies that if I'd been thinking correctly, I would have made you and Albert watch and y'all could tell me how much y'all hate me afterward. <laughs> 
But I found it interesting. I thought it was pretty interesting. So the the Nicolas Cage movie is Willie's Wonderland. He works yeah. as a at a janitor in like I guess like a Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. <laughs> and then all the animatronic stuff goes crazy and starts killing people. At, where is that playing? It's in the theaters apparently. But I was going to try to watch it online because you can watch it online unless I was on drugs at the time and I could have been. It was like a digital rent was like twenty dollars just to rent it. Yeah. What drugs would you have been on? Why, Albert? <laughs> My name was not on the bottom. <laughs> I was asked by somebody, why do I need a watch when I have my iPhone? It's a good question. So while you and all the other first graders out there fumble around trying to get your iPhone out of your pockets and then turn off the 32 update reminders, the 20 missed call notifications, and the 78 text messages about available women near you, me and the other adults will simply glance at our wristwatches from IVI watches and know the time within a second and be reminded that we are a person with style and taste because of the watch we chose. Besides, it's hardly a status symbol when you own an iPhone. I mean, every 12-year-old has one. The refined wristwatches available from IVIwatches.com let people know that they are dealing with a quality adult who knows who they are and what they're doing. But why not get a Rolex? I hear someone in the audience who has never seen an actual Rolex in their life ask. The answer is because you are not a 1980s stockbroker who has no idea about value for money. Watches like Rolexes are ridiculously overpriced, and all they say about you is that you are a pretentious ass whose favorite movie is still Wall Street with Charlie Sheen because you never really understood the actual message of that movie. And the only line you can quote from it is greed is good, which is not even an actual line in the film. With IVIwatches.com, you get the value you pay for. The style and discernment comes at no extra charge. Be an adult. Check out IVIwatches.com today and enter the code KINGDOM to get 25% off. <laughs> All right, y'all want to review some comic books? Aftershock Comics. Shadow Doctor, number one, written by Peter Calloway, art by Georges Genti. This isn't just based on a true story. It is a true story. There are so many factual stories that when they get or if they get translated into comics end up being dry and boring. They overlook the finer aspects of storytelling, especially in the comic book format. This is definitely not the case with Shadow Doctor. Callaway crafts a tale that grabs you and pulls you in before even setting up the narrative. And Gente is at the top of his game with the art on this book. It's compelling characterization. It's a story that really does promise to be dynamic and enthralling. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that comic book is only the first format that this story is going to go into. So I would heavily suggest buying this book. Did you get a chance to read that, Albert? I did read it. It's, a, it's about a, I guess he's a kid at the front of it. Yeah, and he's, and he's, he's, and he's yeah. driving for pretty much bootleggers, I guess. And, and they get under attack because it starts off during Prohibition. It skips forward eight plus years later, and he's become a doctor. And no one will hire him because of the color of his skin. He tries everything. He tries to go through normal channels. But of yeah. course, given the time period and all, nobody's going to give him a break has a last straw at the end of the first issue. We see him go back to the Italian mafisto that hired him to drive way back when, and he approaches him for help. And it's kind of a revelation there. Yeah. That opening scene were the damn Irish. I mean, they mess up everything. Yeah. Just out of the woodwork, attacking. All the nice Italian guys are trying to do is get booze to the people that want them. 
And what did the Irish do? No, the Irish have to get in there and just mess everything up. Damn Irish. God. They're just trying to make a living. An illegal living. Go back to peeling potatoes. Oh, man. Good Lord, Stan. See, that's just racist right there. I was about to say, check your When is Irish a race? Well, it's a nationality. <laughs> Stan will text me like at three o'clock in the morning and say, Albert, uh, your southern drawl and, and you saying the word black sounds horribly racist. So I'm going to cut it out. <laughs> then before signing off with him, I say, fuck Notre Dame. <laughs> this is a wonderful book, though. They do a wonderful job with it. And I really do think that this is this is something that most people are going to overlook. I don't think you should. I enjoyed this, but I really love The Godfather. I love Goodfellas. I love Casino. And this promises to be that and not just base, but is a true story. I gave the writing a five, the art a four, the dynamic a five. My score on Shadow Doctor number one from Aftershock Comics is 4.7. Yeah, that's my score, too. I wasn't as impressed as you were. It was a nice enough story. Well, first of all, it's going to be a specialized audience. This is not a superhero book. It doesn't look like it's going to be a fantasy book. It seems to be a historical character piece. It's uh, a true at, story. <laughs> does it say on there it's a true story? I didn't see that. Yes. It's, the first page in big font says, this is a true story. <laughs> big font. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but that but doesn't. John Claude Van Damme's Bloodsport said it was a true story, and that movie That's was what to say. No, that said based. <laughs> it was based on Frank Dude being a liar. You have to say no, if the first page says Shadow Doctor Number One Family History. It doesn't say this is a true story. It says based on a true story in tiny letters right above the the credits. Oh, there it is. This is a true story. <laughs> Well, now that that's out of the way, okay, apparently me- they're not supplying socialist librarians with proper reading glasses nowadays. <laughs> well, apparently somebody didn't learn how to count because the first page is in tiny letters where it says based on a true story. No, no, you're not technically right. To me, it was slow, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're not interested in, I don't want to say nonfiction, but if you're not interested in this type of book, then, and I don't think there's a huge market for this type of book, but there actually is. And the reveal at the end is why there's a huge market. He's saying that, look, I've, I'm always been a big fan of the Godfather Casino, Goodfellas and such that ties directly into this book. And now you're going to get a historical story based on what all of these gangster stories come from. It's not superheroes. You're absolutely right about that. Right. And it's interesting in that it's going to be a different take. Too often, minorities are written out of or marginalized in these stories. It's pertinent. To be fair, they let Stack Edwards get in on it. Even Stack Edwards was in on it in Goodfellas. I don't know who Stack Edwards is, but... um, Never mind, Sandra. Well, like I said, this is not my cup of tea. I don't really care for gangster movies unless they're like London gangster movies or London. <laughs> God, some boring BBC gangster movies. I say there, old chap, you spilt my tea. Oh my God, have you never watched a <laughs> London gangster movie? That's where Guy Ritchie made his mark. That's not talk old. about fiction. 
Have you never heard of the craze? <laughs> Cheerio, now let's break it off with the rest of Europe, shall we? <laughs> Stan is just being racist as F tonight, isn't he, Stan? <laughs> Albert, it's just unbelievable. After every British, every British crime movie, British. they have to spend half the movie trying to find a gun. <laughs> guys are nuts you could you need to watch lock stock and uh, two smoking barrels you need to watch the craze you need to watch the legend God, instead of trying nuts. to get drugs across state lines they're trying to import tea from france <laughs> i apologize more I, I apologize to Irish. Us. i apologize to any of our british viewers for the sheer ignorance on display here the two listeners in moscow are laughing their asses off at the moment because <laughs> they know it's true <laughs> do you have a score for this comic sandra well i was gonna be like maybe 3.5 but now i'm thinking just don't bother oh british games <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed or not, but every guy, every straight guy and most gay guys, they own three movies. <laughs> and it's The Godfather, Casino, and Goodfellas. And so there's mass appeal for this. It's just that it's going to get overlooked because it's from Aftershock. Well, I have to disagree with you. I mean, I don't know any guys that own those movies other than you, I guess. <laughs> Of course you do. Ask the men that you see every day at work and, so, well, they're librarians. Ask. <laughs> you just a thousand today. I don't know what is wrong with you today either. <laughs> do I sound like Albert? <laughs> yeah, but most guys, those are movies that we can, for some reason, watch and rewatch. Not has often, but along the same lines would be Blow. Oh, God. Donnie Brasco. Of course, Godfather 2, but I count Godfather 2 with Godfather 1, but not Godfather 3. Godfather 3 is awful. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Way back when we were growing up, it used to be Walking Tall. Remember those? Yeah, I remember those. Where Sheriff Pusser actually starred in them yeah, before they I, killed him? I remember those. I was all about those when I was a preteen and stuff when TBS would show them with Walking Tall and Helter Skelter with Powers Booth. Nope. Nope. Walking oh, Tall, oh, yeah. Helter Skelter, which was about Manson, and the Jim Jones story with Powers Booth. And you never see them anymore because they were all made for TV movies. When I got old enough, I got Bugliosi's book, Helter Skelter, that it was based on. Well, let's do some comic books then before I... Oh, we just did a comic book. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to doing comic books before I insult. Irish is not a race. <laughs> Well, at the time of this this setting, yeah, they were kind of considered a race. They were definitely discriminated against. They were just, just like the Irish. Italians were discriminated against. And for good reason. <laughs> yeah. Hell, they were the ones running the booth in the first place. <laughs> I mean, look at all the food and culture and, and good movies we've gotten out of Italians. Sandra, would the Irish do build a railroad? <laughs> no, I think that was God. Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> the Irish saved civilization. Don't you know that? I don't, I don't even think there are any real Irish people. <laughs> what Ireland do? Build the Lorians? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one guy had a run in with some snakes one time, and now we've got an entire damn holiday over it. <laughs> 
DC Comics. <laughs> because of my scores on most of the Future State stuff, I'm not going to jump into this being mean, but I am going to ask you this. Albert, have you noticed Snyder fans bashing Joaquin Phoenix's Joker movie, talking about how superficial it is compared to that one two-second moment that Jared Leto gets in the latest Justice League trailer? All right, let's talk about <laughs> Snyder and the Joker. I need help here, Albert. I'm not understanding any of this. So Snyder has put the Joker in the movie by Jared Leto. He took all the tattoos and crap off of him and has him repeating the We Live in a Society line, which is a, an internet meme to make fun of that for the most part. And, and since Snyder doesn't understand irony, he took it at face value. So I now have to kill him for it. I don't... <laughs> This movie's going to come out and be four plus hours long. <laughs> no, there's still time. He can still add more to it. <laughs> and people are going to watch it. And people are going to lie to themselves, just like they do with the Avengers movies, and talk about how great it is. The Avenger movies are great, though. I'm finding these threads, and there are people out there actually saying, finally, a Joker that's true to form. Snyder is going to give us the best Joker ever. I actually started reading one Reddit thread because I thought they were joking. No, I these, this people, was... these people are cult. Have they ever watched an interview with Zack Snyder? Do they know exactly who they're following? <laughs> He doesn't understand anything. If you're following Zack Snyder as part of a cult, John Travolta would like a few minutes of your time, please. <laughs> Poor old John. Been trying to get out of that cult for 20 plus years, and they just they just won't let him out. They know hey, too much leave, on him. <laughs> you leave Travolta alone. He did the best damn Santa Claus in a commercial that I've ever seen in my life. Did y'all see that with him and Samuel L. Jackson? Oh, ho, ho. ho. <laughs> I must have missed no. it. Was it a Coca-Cola commercial or something? I forget what it was, but he looked just like Santa Claus. And honest to God, you didn't really catch on until he started talking. He was talking to Samuel L. Jackson over Skype. Samuel L. Jackson says, does this get me on the good list? And he says, have you stopped with the naughty words? And Samuel L. Jackson says, nope. And he says, then no, no, no. <laughs> Sandra, don't pretend like you didn't have a John Travolta welcome back Cotter lunchbox. <laughs> God almighty, no, I didn't. <laughs> I don't or even the think little, I watched that show. Or the little Vinnie Barbarino action figure, Migo doll. <laughs> no, no, and no. I just think you're being contrary during this podcast, Sandra. <laughs> he was great to, in the look As opposed talking, to being offended. <laughs> <laughs> Are you Irish, Sandra? Are you Italian? <laughs> Are you British? No. Well, I don't have to be any of those things to be offended. <laughs> God. <laughs> anyway, DC Comics. <laughs> and yes, state. I am part British. Somewhere down the line. I'm sure you are. <laughs> Most of us are. Future State, Catwoman number two. Written by Ram V. Art by Otto Schmidt. Continuing the non-exciting version of Snowpiercer, but with local Girl Scout troop number 347 attempting to save Bruce Wayne because he is helpless and weak. And how many times do we have to tell you people to stop liking him? You only like the costume and the name Batman. Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, and Hal Jordan are responsible for every bad thing ever, damn it. We don't even know why we're going to the trouble of publishing these if you people aren't going 
to fall in line and like who and what we tell you to. It's like you think you're entitled to an opinion that we here at D.C. do not approve of. That was the actual blurb for Future State Catwoman number two. <laughs> wow. That's it. <laughs> That's quite a was, it on, was it on the first going. page? Was it on the first page in <laughs> giant block letters? Yeah, right after this is a true story. Nope, Sandra. It was in one panel. It was in, on page one because it's written by Chris Claremont. Written in invisible <laughs> ink, right? <laughs> Chris Claremont's the only thing that can save DC Comics right now. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, needless to say, I didn't care for it. <laughs> Albert? <laughs> And I read it. <laughs> I didn't care for it either because, you know, you're not allowed to have Catwoman be weak at all. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I just didn't like it. My score was writing was a one. Art, I gave a four. I like the art. Very good art. Dynamic, I gave a zero. My score was for Catwoman, number two, Future State, was 1.7. I gave the writing and dynamic two and art a four. Future State, Superman, Worlds of War, number two by Various. The adventures of BDSM Superman continue on Bogle's War World, where we learn that Albert and Sandra have both been lying to me, that Future State is not a two-month event with tales from alternate realities, but apparently it's canon that will be taken forward into all the new canon books starting in one month. So say goodbye to any semblance of superheroes that formed the cornerstone to modern American mythology, and say hello to whatever propaganda that AT&T wants to shove down your throat using the costumes and names of former characters, but not the actual character or characterizations themselves. The DCU died with the start of New 52. You're now reading its poorly reanimated zombie corpse. The Mr. Miracle backup was fine. The two other backups featuring authority characters absolutely sucked. I hope Jim Lee has nightmares of Dan Didio and Daniel Cherry III taking turns his Wildstorm characters. Oh my god. I used to have a huge amount of respect for Jim Lee, but he's clearly just in this for the money now. Otherwise, he would have done something to have stopped this. Only one of those characters is Wildstorm. Wasn't the engineer Wildstorm? That's Black Racer. Are you sure? Because she looks like the engineer. <laughs> well, now it makes more sense. I mean, the cover, the cover says, featuring Clark Kent, Midnighter, Black Racer, and Mr. Miracle. Well, the Mr. Miracle thing I like. My God, Black Racer looks just like the engineer from The Authority. It didn't make any... I don't know. I didn't see Black Racer in there. I read the thing, but apparently I was reading it under the misapprehension that that was the engineer from The Authority. I mean, it could be for all I know. Still, my opinion on Jim Lee stands. I wish the first story had a point to it. Well, they're continuing it, man. All this time I've been laboring under, you know, I felt bad the first time we started reviewing Future State because Sandra pointed out, isn't this just for two months? And I was like, yeah, you're right. We can uh, do this. Well, I guess they decided. So, of course, they're going to do something with that Wonder Woman. Well, yeah, there's no way that they couldn't do something with the best damn character to come down the pike in 15 years for DC Comics. The Joel Jones Wonder Woman. I guess they'll do something with Mr. Miracle because he still has to close his time loop, I guess. The Mr. Miracle stuff's fine. I'm not. I was never a Mr. Miracle. It doesn't matter if it's Shiloh or if it's. Scott, you have to work hard to make me like Mr. Miracle. What? <laughs> I suppose it has something to do with his Irish background. <laughs> Stan, how could you not like Mr. Miracle and Big Barda? I like Oberon. <laughs> <laughs> I like Big Barda better than I like Mr. Miracle. I don't know what I expect from Mr. Miracle. He just never 
okay, you're an escape artist. So are Penn and Teller. <laughs> not just an escape artist. Well, there's a lot more to Penn and Teller, too. <laughs> they know card tricks. Oh yes, God. they do. <laughs> what was your score on Superman Worlds of War? I gave Dynamic a two. The writing, I gave a three. I like the Mr. Miracle, and I like the Midnighter story. The Superman story, I didn't care for. And the Black Racer story, I didn't care for. I didn't care for the Superman story. I was okay with Mr. Miracle story, but I did not like the Midnighter story. I don't know what the hell distracted me from figuring out that was Black Racer, not the engineer from Authority. Clearly, I would like to say I wasn't paying attention, but I'm not watching TV or doing anything else when I'm reading these to review. Could have been a complete brain fart on my part. Well, that Black Racer character is completely forgettable. It looks just like the engineer. I gave the writing a one. I gave the art a two. I gave the dynamic a zero. My score on BDSM Superman Worlds of War is one. Future State, the next Batman, number four by Various. The writing's fine. I like the art for the most part, but story-wise, I don't understand why this is the introduction for the next Batman. I'm completely with you on that. This would be like a story in his run somewhere, but not like an introduction to the character. It's a story in his run in between a normal writing and artist team that takes place 20 years after his premiere issue. Well, I would say 20 years, but yeah, saying it's just a filler arc or something for a month or two while a like you'd have like an A-tier artist on the book. This is the filler arc. To debut this character, they should have had art that knocked your eyeballs out and a solid story with emphasis on the character of the next Batman. And we're not getting any of that. I mean, thrill has Batman walks down a street. Be amazed as he drives a Dodge Durango, never going over the speed limit. Be confused as a clearly tough cop shoots him at point-blank range in his armor in order to teach him a lesson that he calls her too much, and there's no character depth to it. There's nothing that's making him remotely engaging, and he needs to be. There needs to be some character there. And I would go as far as to say this character showing up at Nightwing was probably a better introductory for the character than this. No, I On some level, like you don't figure, I mean, they don't show too much of him in that book, but that seems like a better introductory than, than this. Dark Detective, he had a dazzling entry. He had the artwork to back him up. And he wasn't a real standout in the Justice League future state stories. They needed a stronger opening for this character, and somebody should have known that. And they also have a backup story about stick figures all wearing the same orange jumpsuit. Then the third backup is more stick figures. (laughs) More stick figures. (laughs) Stick figures and stick figures. Yeah, none of the backups Um, are good. I'm not even scoring this. It's not worth your money. I feel bad for the whole situation. Uh, I'll give the art a three. The art's okay on all of it. The orange jumpsuit really ain't the artist's fault because it takes place in the prison. Writing, I gave a two. and Dynamic, I gave a two. So you gave it a 2.3. For the sake of argument, I'm just going to say two. Yeah, I'm just, I don't want to say my feelings are hurt, but I certainly feel there could have been a better outing of this. Future State, Immortal Wonder Woman, number two by Various. I thought this issue was far better than the first issue. The first story is about Wonder Woman running from a black tentacled mass that has destroyed everything. It's called The Undoing, and it's clearly meant to represent the execs that AT&T put in charge of DC. The art on that first story I really liked. I don't know that everybody across the board would give that art fives, but I'm going to for the first story. And it does end on somewhat of a hopeful note that eventually there will be a 
better, fresher start for DC. The second story is a continuation of the Nubia story that started in the first one and took place in the library. It's solid. The art is far better than the writing on the Nubia story. Yeah, the, the first story's art is fantastic. The first story is drawn by Jen Bartle. And the story itself is fine. It's the end of all, end of everything type story where Wonder Woman is the last person alive in existence. It's got Superman, it's got Dark Side, it's got Spectre. It's, for being the two little, just a little two-issue story, it's really, really great. It's a far cry from Joel Jones' Wonder Woman, but I wasn't put off by it. I really did like the art in the first issue. Yeah. I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a five. I gave the dynamic a zero. My score is 2.7. I gave the writing a three, a dynamic a four, and art a five. And the Nubia story is just sort of there. It wasn't bad, but the art in the Nubia story far outstrips the contents of the story. Yeah, it's fine. Completely serviceable comic. Future State, Shazam number two, writer Tim Sheridan, art by Eduardo Pansica. I liked it, but where's the ending? Is this going to end in Future State Black Adam? Because that's set in a way distant future, and we've already seen him in the future. He's a man in touch with his feelings and emotions that sobs on cue in the future. In other words, he's completely useless to anybody but the Democratic Party. I enjoyed (laughs) it. I enjoyed it, but I feel like there should have been more of a wrap-up to it. I don't want them to skip 3,000 years into the future to wrap this story up, which kind of seems what they're hinting at. It seemed like they could have done something more with it. The first issue I really liked, and the second one I really liked, too, till it just sort of stopped. It's a fine story, and if we were getting a future state Shazam number three, I would have been, okay, yeah, here we go. But we're not. And then it leads you to the Black Adam story that takes place in the far distant future. I gave the writing a four and the art a four. I gave the dynamic a two. My score was 3.3. I gave it straight threes. That's fair, too. I really couldn't fault the writing, and they seem to have an ending to it. I just really, we're we're going to, and maybe I'm wrong about the Black Adam story. Maybe it doesn't take place 3,000 years in the future. No, it takes place for whatever year Justice League 1 million takes place. It takes place after that. Okay, then. Because remember, it had Gold Superman and those Justice League members in it because they all got wrecked by the the Seven Sins or whatever. Mm That's what I'm saying. That's, yeah, that seems a bit far to have to go with this. Oh, so far as Batman's concerned with the magistrate, looks like we're getting no answers to that whatsoever because I'm willing to bet that they carried this on into continuity as well. Valiant Comics. Bet that shocked a few people right there. Savage, number one, writer Max Bemis, artist Nathan Stockman. It's a good thing Tarzan is in the public domain. Otherwise, I feel as though there'd be a lawsuit. (laughs) Well, yeah, they'd have to rework this, probably. That's not a bad thing. That's essentially what we have here. What if the legend of Greystoke met Twitter? It doesn't make it a bad comic, though. In fact, this may be the best thing that I have ever read from Valiant. The art's wild and unruly, which is the theme of the book. There is a last page reveal that makes you go, huh. If you're a Tarzan fan, and I'm not being facetious here, if you're a Tarzan fan, you should definitely check it out. My major complaint is that the structural integrity of Big Ben would never lend itself to being used as a baseball bat. Oh, my God. (laughs) Are we going to get some math again? (laughs) No, it's just that the British don't know how to make anything worth a damn. (laughs) Especially empires. Look, Albert, that's Stonehenge calling you. That's just some rocks in a field. I started to say, I can stack rocks in my backyard all day long. (laughs) 
I got a pile it's, of bricks behind my shed that'll be there 2,000 years from now because I ain't ever going to mess with them. <laughs> it's not like the Brits invented Lego. <laughs> I'm so glad we're not doing this in video because then you can see my face and my fingers. <laughs> How many different nationalities were there on Okinawa, Sandra? It was the center of a trading route. So, yeah, there were definitely plenty of... <laughs> Plenty of different nationalities. It's a melting pot. <laughs> Next week, Sandra will be Jamaican. <laughs> I don't think I have any Jamaican in me. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, Kingdom Cast gets canceled. <laughs> I was about to say, Stan, you're just on a roll. I don't know what you're eating, if it's the cold or what. Lord, I, I do, but I've got to stop this laughing because I can barely breathe. Albert, what was your take on Savage Number One? Oh, it's it's good. I liked it. It's Tarzan with with big dinosaur monsters in it and social media. Yeah, I'm not knocking it at all. I thought it was a fun comic. Comic books should a lot of the times just be fun, and this was a fun comic. I gave the writing a three, the art a three, and the dynamic a four. My score for Savage Number One from Valiant Comics was three point three. You do know this artist is Irish. <laughs> Straight ones, I guess. <laughs> oh, screw that. <laughs> so wrong, Stan. So wrong. <laughs> what was your score? <laughs> I just said it straight ones. I gave yeah, but- the uh, the writing a dynamic of four. I, well, I gave the art a four, too, so straight fours. If the artist wasn't an Irishman, <laughs> it would be straight fours. The artist is Nathan Stockman, who's a really nice guy. I've actually commissioned some art from him. He does a good job on this book. Marvel Comics, X-Men Legends, number one. Writer, Fabian Nasiaza. Artist, Brett Booth. It's how the 90s comics should have been, but never was. Brett Booth flipped a switch inside his head and turns out artwork that makes you realize what the 90s X-Men could have been if Liefeld... Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane had applied themselves. It's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it for the art by itself, but Brett Booth blows each page right out of the book. I was never a fan of the Adam X stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> you say something different. <laughs> What do you think he's going to blow? <laughs> Wolverine? Uh, For the record, we like Brett Booth. <laughs> I was never a fan of the Adam X stuff, but Fabian provides a solid 90s feel to the story. Man, that first page with Eric the Red, I mean, that is screaming 90s. <laughs> Just, and, well, it all is. It, it should all be is. like in your face. 90s! <laughs> yeah, and he's doing that on purpose. Because if you look at this and some of his other recent work, like on Bloodshot and Flash Forward, it's different. There's difference to it. He's flipped a switch, and he's in full 90s mode for this book. If you like blood, violence, and testosterone delivered with a side of hyperbolic dialogue, this is definitely your book. X-Men Legends number one, I gave the writing a three, the art a five, the dynamic a three. My score was 3.7. Well, it's the most homoerotic comic out this week. That was the entire theme of the 90s, if I recall. Yeah, Brett Booth, he does a great job on art, but he's really firing on all cylinders. The writing and everything's fine. Nobody's going to get me to like Adam X. I don't think Eric the Red's costume has ever looked that good. <laughs> and, well, that big old X on his chest. 
Not that it's there's a, anything wrong with that. Yes, not that there's anything wrong with that. Because there isn't. No, there's not. There was a lot of blood in this book, though. Well, it's the 90s. Yeah, it really was. It, it screamed it. Sandra, what did you think of the book? I don't know if I could talk to you today. I'm just like the art came up there and punched me in the face. I'm kind of speechless. <laughs> that's a good That's app. That is exactly the way I felt. It came screaming off of the page. <laughs> Actually, the 90s, I skipped this era of the 90s. Once I canceled Namer's book, I was out of there. So I missed a lot of the 90s and especially this era. So it doesn't have the appeal for me that it does for probably a large percentage of our listeners. And God, Adam X, why? But if you like this era, this is for you. It definitely is. Also, if you like this era, you need to stop holding comic books back. (laughs) You're worse than Star Trek. You're worse than Star Trek fans at this point. (laughs) God, I'm actually kind of surprised that Marvel went with this. And God, there's Cable with his gigantic guns. Marvel went with this because there's a small contingency out there saying, this isn't the X-Men I grew up with. And of course, it's the 90 kids talking about Hickman's X-Men and moving them forward. And unlike saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, stop. Everything we're doing on this best-selling series of X books to come down the pike and God knows how long, Marvel said, you know what? We're going to get Fabian, and we're going to get Brett, and we're going to give them cocaine, and we're going to say, pretend like it's 1994, guys. And there you go. Look at Adam X and his claws. And who? Adam X is the perfect... Adam X is the perfect representative for 90s X-Men. This stupid baseball cap. He's still wearing the baseball cap. Oh, or actually, is it set back in the 90s? Yes, it's the 90s. It is set back in the 90s, yeah, because now I realize the costuming. Okay. And it's supposed to be canon and all this. I'm picking it up. I'm going to read the entire thing. I enjoyed the first issue, but uh, I mostly just love Brett Booth's art. We got the Star Slammer, so that's a big plus. Star Star Jammers. Yeah, Star Slammers is Walt you, Simonson. You got the wrong, book. got the wrong euphemism there. <laughs> no, Walt Simonson did a book called Star Slammers, but yes, yeah. I got the wrong one. It's Star Jammers. Jammers. That's right. That's because they travel between the stars and their jammies. <laughs> anyway, I gave the art of five, the writing of four, and dynamic of zero. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why'd you give the dynamic of zero? You people need to get over the nineties. <laughs> I'm not lying, y'all. Y'all are killing comic books. Y'all need to stop acting like Spawn's a thing. You're right, Albert. This thing, you know what this book is missing? Chains. Where are the chains? Holy cow. Look at that giant phallus spaceship. (laughs) It's on a double page spread. (laughs) That Spawn comment's going to get us four angry emails. (laughs) It's not a Spawn comment. That's that's a McFarland comment. <laughs> Sandra, oh my God, there's going to be another book. I thought this was a one shot. No. Is this an ongoing? It's an ongoing. How did you think this was one shot with that ending? Well, I just. I Sandra, just, put I a just, number on the book and let's go on with life. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just blown away by this book. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my type of book, first of all. 
ever. Oh. If this is your type of book, I imagine you're screaming fives and running down the street. <laughs> and I think the best thing about it is the dynamic. They really pull it off. Here's the time machine, man. Go on back and nostalgia yourself out. You know, OD on the nostalgia. For what it is, I would give it fives. But that doesn't mean I recommend anybody reading it. <laughs> Spoken fair. like a true librarian. <laughs> Savage Avengers, writer Jerry Dugan, and art by Kev Walker. Have y'all read this book? Does it have Namor in it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I didn't read this book. (laughs) Albert, did you read this? Yeah, I read it. Love this book. I love the Deadpool, Conan, Night Flyer, Hellfire Heist. That is great fun. For all practical purposes, this is the Avengers book. I gave a writing a five, the art of four, the dynamic of four. My score for the Savage Avengers is 4.7. Oh, Kingdom Casts would like to take this opportunity to wish Deadpool happy 30th anniversary, Deadpool. My God, time flies with the... It is. on my list for sure. February 1991, Deadpool premiered. Time flies with a popular character with his own movie franchise, doesn't it, Albert? (laughs) (laughs) Once again... Happy 30th anniversary, Deadpool. <laughs> Albert, what do you think of Savage Avengers? For the most part, this is sort of a Conan Deadpool team up issue. It is. I like Nightflyer too. I like the dialogue yeah. on Nightflyer. Jerry yeah. Dugan, I'm not as familiar with him, but Jerry Dugan did a great job on him. And the whole Hellfire Club heist, the references to there's nobody here. Where are all the servants dressed in eyes wide shut <laughs> wardrobe? <laughs> It was a great book. I really enjoyed it. I did, too. I gave the writing a five, the dynamic a five, and the art a four. Albert, do you want to take a moment and reflect on 30 years of Deadpool? <laughs> I got to go pluck my eyeballs out. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd prefer not to. Thank you. Thank well, you, Albert. We'll move on. Immortal Hulk, Flatline, One Shot by Declan Shalvey. No bias here. <laughs> He's Irish. Is- he is? Yes. <laughs> no. No, I caught that with that goofy name, Declan. (laughs) Lord have mercy. That is not a goofy name. This one is a winner. I'm always nervous when Immortal Hulk puts out a one shot, but this was a winner. It was a heartbreaker. Declan introduces you to a character you didn't know existed and in a few pages makes you care for them and all the while uses that character to enhance the mythology of the Hulk. Declan gets in, he gets out you're even more a fan of the Hulk than you were before you picked the book up. This is a great book all the way around. He does writing and art, and my God, anybody can pull off writing and art together. Hats off to him. This was a wonderful one-shot. Well worth your money. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, some old, some old woman shows up, and, and they punch each other, and that's about it. It was a great book. No, she was, her entire dialogue was relevant to the Hulk and at any point in the Hulk and Bruce Banner's life. And I've heard it all before. Why are you even reading comic? My gosh, it's, we've heard all of it before. We just finished reading X-Men Legends. You heard his tirade earlier against the Irish. I'm giving Hulk Flatline the writing of five, the art of four, the dynamic of five. My score for it was 4.7. I give it straight threes. I mean, it's fine for just a one-off story, I suppose. <laughs> You would have been all over this. Nah. Okay. Thor. Wait, wait, tw- wait, wait. What, what, what? I'm going to give you some scores. All right. Oh, did you read it? I'm sorry. Yes. I yes, I Go did. Ahead. I'm going to give it straight fours. I really okay. enjoyed the writing. 
The art was okay, but I really enjoyed the writing. Though the art actually kind of fit the story. I mean, it wasn't a bombastic story. So I think it really did. And like you, I really liked the new character. I think Declan did some great, great work here. He really did. This was one of those things that make you feel closer to the character by the end of it. Expanded on what Al Ewing is doing. He really did. So this is, uh, Sandra and I think it's worth your money and Albert. Sure. Albert. (laughs) Albert, what do you, do you think it's worth their money? Yeah, for one shot. Yeah, sure. Thor, number 12, writer Donny Cates, art by Nick Klein. Donny Cates deserves an Eisner for the first three pages by themselves. Ugh. If you aren't reading this book, I don't even want to know you. <laughs> God bless Throg, the Frog of Thunder. Those first three pages were just absolutely... <laughs> Bravo. Bravo, Donny Cates. He's like the only person that actually put up a fight against Donald Blank, too. <laughs> Sandra, did you read this? No, I'm behind, I'm behind on Thor, but I'm not all that impressed with Donny Kate. He knocks it out of the park. Those first three pages. I mean, when I opened that book and I saw that first page, I thought, oh, no, 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 no. He just nailed And Lockjaw. This is bloody brilliant. You take a concept like Throg, the Frog of Thunder. It's a goofy concept. It's a little frog dressed as Thor with his own hammer, but it more than legitimizes him. In this and the situation, you've got a guest star as Doctor Strange, and of course Jane is in it. And the Doctor Strange situation is just great. This is an outstanding. This is a wonderful. This is everything a Marvel comic should be, and more. I'm all aboard with it. I agree. It's got great art, wonderful writing, and the last page that makes you want to pick up the next issue every time. Every time. I gave it fives across the board. Yeah, I gave it straight fives easily. King in Black, number four, writer Donny Cates and art by Ryan Stegman. The Marvel section of the program is basically becoming the Donny Cates show. But you talk about knowing your Marvel comics, talk about understanding and knowing how to utilize every thread available, and then you talk about storytelling. This is the event comic of event comics, and it's sheer, unadulterated, unapologetic storytelling in the mighty Marvel manner. This is outstanding stuff. I was surprised. I don't think I've been as surprised by a story shift or a story device in a comic in a long time as I have in this issue. Of course, I keep saying his characterization is dead on. His characterization, he knows these characters. He does too. What what do you want about? How? How? Explain yourself. He didn't have to give Namor a page, (laughs) but he did because he likes you, Sandra. (laughs) (laughs) Doc Chase doesn't even know I exist. Thank you very much. Well, in a metaphysical sense, he knows there's got to be at least one person that likes Namor. (laughs) But he does. He's got these characters dead to rights, and he knows his Marvel mythology. This is an outstanding book. And I cannot believe I'm saying this about what is basically a Venom book. At least it's not the Phoenix. Oh, thank God for that. Thank God for that. For half a second there, I did think, and then I thought, no, no, he's not going to pull that. He didn't go for the obvious damn thing. He didn't go for the Phoenix like somebody writing Avengers did. He went for something that's always been there and hasn't been trotted out for quite a while, but always exists. And then 
he more than gave it a purpose. Yeah, and like it works. It's not even an overly complicated explanation. You're like, okay, I can get with that. That's I can believe that. And it makes the original concept even better. Yep. It gives more of a reason to it because you basically just had a one-line description of what this entity is when they first brought it forward from back in the day. But now you understand why it exists and that it has an entire yin and yang purpose to it. it this was just this was just great. And I didn't even know Marvel had get robbed the space not back. <laughs> shocked. Shocked I was. <laughs> oh, Sandra, Lord. Tell us how great you think Donnie Cates is. I have still yet to read anything by Cates that I've been impressed with. I don't think he's spot on with the... He does deep dives and some stuff. And well, first of all, I don't care for Venom either. And so I haven't read all of this stuff with Null and Venom. I think his characterization and his dialogue is very superficial. It's not Bendis quality, or I don't think that's the word <laughs> I'm looking for. Bendis quality? I know. I think it's not as bad as Bendis. It's what are we talking Bendis about? Is, like the dialogue. I don't think his characterization yeah. and dialogue is all that great. I was stunned and amazed by the ending and the reveal. So I'll give him that. I've read his Doctor Strange and, um, oh yeah, the Cosmic Ghost Rider nonsense. I know he has a following, but I, it's just not me. I don't, well, cosmic, I, don't I, think cosmic, I think I think he's superficial and bombastic in his writing. Cosmic um, Ghost Rider was more of a tongue-in-cheek thing and played yeah. off as such, Frank Castle being that. That was more for fun. When he's writing seriously, he does it well. You need to sit down with his Thor. No, you don't like Venom, but I'm not a big Venom fan either. His Silver Surfer Black, he knows these characters. He's steeped in the lore. He he and Jerry Dugan, they're really good on these books. I understand you're upset. I know how it works. There's just no satisfying Namor fans. You give them a page, they want two pages. You give don't them two his, pages. Well, don't let, forget let his Thanos it, run. He had a very let, good Thanos run. Oh, his Thanos was great. Yeah. Let me put it this yes. way. If you're going to put Namor in here and the thing you're going to have him do is flood a city, then that's very superficial. I mean, that's just buying into the crap about what Namor is and what he does. I didn't care for his dialogue. I have never seen the appeal, but apparently he has he has a following and people like him. So good on that. Well, once more, before we go to the scores, Kingdom Cast's podcast would like to wish Deadpool a happy 30th anniversary. Way to go, Deadpool. I gave it fives across the board. Sandra? <laughs> I, I don't feel right giving this book a, a score because I just really have I, I, I have no I'll interest. And obviously, it's I, my personal. I, I'm not going to give it a score. That's straight fives from Sandra. How about no, you, it is not. <laughs> I agree with Sandra. This book is straight fives. I straight did not five. give it. Sandra did not give this book straight fives. Let's just put it right out there. And that concludes our review portion of the evening. We all three suggest Wait. you run out and buy King and Black number four. Wait. That's not the end of the review session. Thank you very much. Like I told you last week, Sandra, if the book hasn't been made yet, we can't review it. <laughs> what have you got? I would like to say a few words about Iron Marvel. Fist. Well, I, oh, I should sure. say something about, about Iron Fist, too. But the Alex Ross curated anthology Marvels, and it's not Marvels, Marvel. Why they all have the same name, I don't know. I picked that up because Adam Hughes has ha actually has a sequential 
story in this, which I was stunned by because I can't remember the last time Adam Hughes has done sequentials. And this was an odd choice because there are very few women in this nine-page story. It's Nick Fury at the end of the war, getting drunk, remembering some of the people that we lost, but basically Captain America. I thought it was going to be more a Nick Fury story, but it's kind of like, oh, Captain America, he was the, the best of us. I enjoyed it. I like the World War II stories. I like Nick Fury. Adam Hughes, he can draw more than cheesecake. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, he's always been able to draw yeah, more than uh, cheesecake. And I he wish, just... well, it's profitable. I would recommend it for this story. But holy cow, the Wong story was lots of fun, too. It was beautifully painted, I think, by Gene Ha. Just gorgeous, a fun little story. Not Nothing earth-shaking, but it was fun. A nice little character piece and commentary on uh, many different things. This is probably one of the best ones in this anthology. I fully intended to read that, and I forgot about that, and I forgot about Iron Fist by Larry Hama as well. Did you both read Iron Fist? Uh, yeah, I, I read Iron uh-huh. Fist. No, I read Marvel as well. Yeah, what would you think about the Wong story? Is the best thing in the book. Like that it, Wong it story was is very great. good. Yeah, uh, I, I did mean, like the Nick Fury story. I'll give the writing and art a five. I'll give the dynamic a four simply because the Wolverine Hulk thing knocked that down a number. It's an anthology, so it's kind of hard to give a good dynamic on that because it's just separate stories. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'll agree with Albert. Five, five, and four. Iron Fist, number two, written by Larry Hama. It's Larry Hama, so it's a fun ride. I was not as impressed with the art this time around, but it progresses the storyline about an eighth heavenly city, which is not so heavenly. It's called the Hidden City, I think. I'm impressed so far with what I've seen as far as the writing and stuff, but I wasn't as impressed with the art. I did not like the MacGuffin that brought the, the heavenly cities to our mortal plane there was more just standard action scene stuff in issue one yeah this one there's just a short scene and that's it and it seems like he excels in that end and i still thought the art was fantastic though it just seems like his issue one probably played more to his strengths than issue two did didn't you think build a machine was kind of odd for what i think of mystical slash magical slash wushu type things and that machine was not pretty at all i mean it just It just was pretty standard. It was your typical cosmic gate thing. I thought of Stargate because it had the rings. Remember the rings coming down? I gave the writing a 4.5, the art a 3, and the dynamic a 3.5. I gave it a straight force. That's going to round up the comics for us this week. And now, let's discuss a rumor. The first one on my mind is, Albert, what is this stuff about people banding together to attempt to buy just DC Comics? Not the cinematic properties or anything else, but just the comic book properties. I think the way that the the Bleeding Cool article is written, that it's... Bleeding Cool. So basically, this could be Rich Johnston just pulling up to random people on street corners, offering <laughs> them money to tell him lies about DC Comics, right? Who knows? <laughs> I think there's probably an inkling of, of truth in there, as in people have probably approached AT&T about wanting to buy that stuff, or at least 
just the comic book side of it. Yeah. I, there doesn't seem to be anything mentioning wh- how serious they were of that. It's they just people. want the comic book properties. Yeah, they just think, want to make comic books. I think right? Bleeding Cool has an issue where when DC fired a bunch of people, that may have went some people's contacts. Oh, I, I promise you that they've got that issue. Marvel has been better about keeping Bleeding Cool spies out, but Diamond and DC have been no, are, are the majority the, of the... I've been reading Rick Johnson for years and years and years, even before Bleeding yeah. Cool existed. He, he has a very, very personal high favoritism toward Marvel. Like it's he has a huge bias toward Marvel. Well, there's no bias toward Marvel. You're you're just Yes, he does. Oh, I can't speak for him. I'm just talking about normal comic book fans like myself not having a bias. Like I said, sometimes I wish we had videos so you could watch my eyeballs just roll out of my head. Like I said, there's probably some a, a hint of truth in that article, but it's so vague and offers no details that whatever happens out of it, he can just claim, hey, I called it. DC announces big books here and there all the time, and he misses all of that stuff. Yeah. He never got a hold of Batman 89 or Superman 78. They just announced those yeah. books. I know that he's had insiders at Diamond, and Diamond, every time they find one, gets yeah. rid of them. It's easy to have insiders at Diamond, given the multifaceted aspects of what is Diamond Distributors. But I I can't even begin to fathom the paperwork that would have to be processed for a group of individuals to only have the rights to the characters in comics and create comics, but yet not own the characters outright. You follow what I'm saying? That is a... There's two major things involved with that. The first one being Warner Brothers, AT&T, whoever, would still have to have someone on their end to approve all that. Like they just couldn't willy-nilly go out there and put what they wanted. Someone on AT&T is going to have someone that says, hey, we don't like this. You can't publish it. What's the point? Well, because you don't want Wonder Woman getting raped. No, I understand the care of these characters, but if AT&T is still going to get final say, if Pamela Lifford or Daniel Cherry Third is still going to get final say, then the people buying, what's the point? Because they would still be publishing DC Comics. The second thing is, they'd have to be written in such a way that it would in no way ever get AT&T Warner mixed up in any type of situation at all to where it would even remotely resemble the Disney, Sony, Spider-Man stuff. That'd be the main thing that you'd have to iron out to me to be where there would be no issue with Warner Brothers and AT&T ever having to worry about the rights of the comic book characters screwing up their movies. Yeah, I still don't. The only way AT&T's board would permit something like that to happen is to say, oh, no, you won't DC, you take all of DC and here's the price tag. And they're still highly unlikely to... I mean, they've been shopping around selling off the comics. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The more likely outcome would be, no, no, that's part of Warner Brothers division. So if you want that, you have to take all of Warner Brothers. Now, they're already back in the mode where they're wanting to sell off CNN again. They've actually shopped around selling the comic book side or, quote unquote, licensing the comic book side. Licensing Uh, is different than selling them. Yeah. Well, that's what but that's what these these investors are talking about doing. That's not what the Brilliant Cool article is. Yeah, that's not what they I'm not going to accept every single word that the Brilliant Cool article says. I'm not going to accept any of it. But Marvel and 
I think somebody else asked about it, but they decided the price was too high. Now they're saying that maybe they're in negotiations with Penguin Random House, who has the bucks to buy that licensing. They're looking to sell the comic books side. But the licensing um, is not selling them. Licensing is the same thing that Marvel has going on with IDW. Well, that's what they're talking about. Licensing the entire comic, comic books side. In order to sell the comic books, they're not it's talking difficult. about just buying off a piece of the DC stuff. They're talking about being in charge of publishing the comic books. DC Comics is so ingrained into the Warner Brothers makeup aspect of the corporation that separating them would be an un the, the attorneys would come out best in the entire deal due to the amount of but it's not uh, that, time, Dan. effort, it's, and paperwork involved. It, they can't. It's, it's not, not like, not hey, fine. you want to buy Superman? It's that not doesn't work like this. that. It's not, they're talking about licensing and publishing the comic side. They're not talking about buying the rights to Superman. They're talking about what basically I'm, I'm assuming is what IDW does with Marvel's properties. The article, but, the article but, I read did not say anything about licensing. They said selling. Well, now, selling, licensing, I completely Selling the license. Understand. Selling the license. But they're, <laughs> they're talking about okay, buying the print, publish, the print publishing rights. But for the entire but, line. It, that's called, okay, again, selling the license is called licensing. That's completely different than selling the characters. That's completely different than selling. They're not talking selling. about buying the characters, Stan. Albert, did that's I read not the wrong the article? article said. No, listen, listen, everyone, everyone be quiet for a second. <laughs> the article is this. These people, this company or group, whether they're not buying every aspect of the characters. AT&T slash Warner would own every aspect of, let's say, the DC characters with the exception of comic books. That's what I'm saying. They just want to publish the comic okay, books. Okay, let but me They don't let want to license this. it. They want to own own the rights to have comic books, not licenses, own it outright. Yeah. And then AT&T Warner, they get TVs, toys, movies, air, t-shirts. t-shirts. Everything else is theirs to own. They just want to own the comic book thing. Sandra, you would be 110% if that article, uh, so far as we're in discussion about this article, which I believe is complete BS to begin with, you would be 110% correct if that article said the licensing of. This is not about licensing. What that article is trying to get people to believe, and this is why I believe it's complete bullcrap, is that there's a group of investors trying to buy only the comic book aspect of these characters so they can publish the comic books how they think they need to be published, publish the stories they think they need to be published and such. When I'm not going to speak to what anybody in Warner Brothers would think about that, I'm telling you, the same people on the board of AT&T that don't understand how in the hell they ended up owning CNN and a comic book company would look at that and say, the hell is this? Chop it all up, sell Warner Brothers, get rid of the gaming division, and get rid of CNN. They're not going to say, oh, well, let's all sit down and do the impossible backflip paperwork in order to allow this group to only buy the comic book character aspects of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. There's also issues with something like Watchmen. Oh my God, I like can't even those, begin to fact. If those people got the, the comic books, they would be almost like 
Warner Brothers would have to require them to always have that book in print. Because they yeah, just couldn't not- buy it and say, hey, let's give Watchmen back to Alan Moore for fun. They can't do that. Yeah, this isn't about, somebody said Marvel earlier. It, no, not even remotely Marvel. But this isn't about IDW coming to DC saying, hey, license your characters to us. We'll run the comic books. Because let's pretend that that's a thing. Let's pretend that IDW got the licensing to all of the DC Universe comic book characters. It's really no different than DC Comics as it is right now, except IDW's doing it. They still get final say to dictate the storylines, where they've got to go. We've got this movie coming out. Wait a minute, you can't kill Aquaman because he's appearing in this cartoon in the fourth episode, and so on and so forth. That's a completely different thing than what this article is talking about, which is why I don't believe this article is even remotely true. The gym, the legal gymnastics of that are just unfathomable. I'm not going to say impossible. They're just nobody's going to take that time. <laughs> I don't care what your property's worth. God, I can't even, I, I can't even begin to fathom that. That's, that's not even, CNN is a separate entity. That's how they're able to sell it apart. CNN was never fully a part of Warner Brothers. They were the same company. CNN can be sold off, has a separate aspect. The gaming division is not officially a part of Warner Brothers, although they license Warner Brothers properties. The gaming division can be sold off on a whim. It's like me deciding that I've got $40 million and I want to buy Hong Kong Fooey from them. That ain't happening for any price because Hong Kong Fooey is part of the Hanna-Barbera aspect of Warner Brothers and is therefore a Warner Brothers character. And while nobody's doing anything with Hong Kong Fooey and there hasn't been a real reference to Hong Kong Fooey, in God knows how long, and he hasn't had a cartoon or toys for at least 10 years, they're not selling Hong Kong Fooey separate from Warner Brothers. That and those characters still make them a small amount of money. Well, of course they do. And they've always got, Hong like, here's, 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 the, here's the occasional collector's item, here's a t-shirt, just small things like that. I mean, they could do nothing with the Hanna-Barbera characters yeah. and just do crap like that. They've already made their money off those Hanna-Barbera characters. characters are still making money. Yeah. Period. Hong Kong Fui is making money right now as we speak, even though we're not aware of uh, aware of him. That's because some station somewhere in the world, if not in America, then somewhere else in the world, is running Hong Kong Fui cartoons, and there's advertising money being brought in for those Hong Kong Fui cartoons. That's why I don't believe this. I think that website is completely off base about this. I, I cannot see that remotely happening. Now, I'm sure they could iron out the paperwork, but like, Lord, the mess. Just the paperwork on that, it would it's would probably be more involved than the paperwork Disney had made up to buy what they wanted out of Fox. There's just so much specifics and everything involved with it. It would have been easier for Disney to buy the X-Men and Fantastic Four properties separate from all of Fox and just buy those properties back than it would that given the paperwork and given that uh, who the Fantastic Four and the X-Men still belong to. They belong yeah. to an aspect that Disney now owned. That makes it easy, but that's not even remotely what they're talking about doing here. No. They're talking about selling how many characters are in DC? God, Marvel I mean, keeps claiming they used to have, they had right at 5,000. So let's say DC Comics has a uh, cast of somewhere in the area of, let's say, at least 10,000 characters. <laughs> you have to write down each of these characters individually, from Jimmy Olsen to, you know, that henchman that Killer Croc had in this one issue <laughs> that they gave him an actual name. 
It and is Plaid yeah. Lad. They'd have to write one for Plaid, Plaid Lad. Lad. No, that's what. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is. There's no way this is licensing. What Sandra is saying. Yes, that could be a possibility, but it's licensing. What this article say is saying. No, no. No, 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 no. But if watch it does us, come watch, to pass, watch us be wrong in like in two months. Yeah, if it does I was come about to pass, to say. I'm going to approach him and attempt to buy Hong Kong Fui. <laughs> I'm going to start looking for investors for Namer. <laughs> Could you imagine selling off one character at a time like that? Okay, well, this company wants Yogi Bear, so we're going to sell. We're going to sell Universal Yogi Bear, but Disney has outbid Universal for Boo Boo. <laughs> Well, I guess it depends on how desperate AT&T is. You see, I don't care. You know, I've said repeatedly, oh, they're billions of dollars. And then, yes, they are. They are somewhere around $160 billion to $190 billion. I don't know what the current debt level is. But that's not, that's not how this gets done. They sell off Warner Brothers. They don't sell off DC Comics. They sell off Warner Brothers. So you get Casablanca, DC Comics, yeah, whatever else comes with Warner Brothers. I'm sure there's a couple of other movies that they've put out in the past. How could you write something like that down? If you're writing this article and you write that down and then you go back and reread it to check it for mistakes, how do you not look at that and say, this can't possibly be right? <laughs> Good God, Stan. Why do you think Bleeding Cool would actually go back and read it for mistakes? <laughs> Albert, has that been ever your uh, experience with Bleeding Cool? No. I was about to say, I mean, it's typo heaven over there. Not to mention (laughs) just the the regular information. I will sit down. If this comes to pass, personally sit down, and I don't care how many pages it is, I will read exactly how this went down in legalese to figure it out because there's just no possible way. You can get Warner Brothers, you can buy all of Warner Brothers, but you can't just buy an aspect of DC Comics and say, no, you keep, we just want Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman and do comics our way in them, but you keep the action figures, the cartoons, the everything else. That's insane. So anyway, what's the other rumor? (laughs) I don't know about rumors, but I mean, there was the big news, the actual like put out by Marvel news that they're going to try to marry off Dr. Doom again. I don't understand why y'all were upset about that. I'm a huge Doom fan. I mean, it's not going to stand. It has to be like the wedding from the Flash Gordon movie. Oh, that would be beautiful. I love that wedding. I would have loved it better if that damn blonde haired hippie had stayed out of it and Ming got his woman. (laughs) He was just doing it for that afternoon, too. Like he wasn't. Yeah, for this afternoon, to, for the remainder of this afternoon, that was hysterical. Of the hour, of the hour. You know what I think it is? I think that cover that they posted with that story, I think that cover is misleading. I think that Doom has stepped in and cucked both Namor and Reed Richards by having Sue Richards come to her senses and marry him. <laughs> Sue Richards is standing right there next to Reed. That's what I'm saying. Hey, look, the Hulk was in the uh, was in the trailer lot. for... <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, I believe it's a Doombot. <laughs> That's a Doom. No, the the Reed standing, the Sue standing there was the Doombot. The real one is well, the one we've already in. we've already seen six Doom Stew Stew. <laughs> we've already seen <laughs> Sue marry Doctor Doom in the Claremont run. Well, that she's was a hussy. That's no, right. No, 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 no. That wasn't that wasn't Doctor Doom. That, that was, was Reed, Reed trapped, trapped in Doctor Doom's body. But that's what I'm saying. And that it was a really be, good storyline. That might be the kind of bait and switch that they're pulling here, except that's not Sue. No, I just don't trust Dan Slott with, with Doctor Doom. 
I don't um, either. But at least but the art will be are. pretty because it's by Valerio Shitty. I don't know how why Doctor Doom is inviting Namor and Black Panther. That doesn't make much sense. But I could see Namor coming. But why in the world would you invite Heads Black of Panther? State. Heads of state. I bet. Why I bet. would Black Panther attend Doctor Doom's wedding after Doom War? Well, it depends on who he's marrying. Oh, so you think he's marrying Storm? Sure. Why not? Well, no. he, he he's courted Storm before. Who I hasn't? No, I I'm not overly worried about that. Can't well not in charge. This is a one-off situation. At the worst, it'll be a bad story that we all forget in a year, but it won't affect really any of the characters or anything. But I do notice that he's also in Guardians of the Galaxy coming up. They're playing yeah. Doom up a lot, which really tells me that we're just around the corner. So I'm more curious about that, too, is like, how is Doom joining Guardians of the Galaxy? There's something in space he needs. <laughs> well, yeah. But- I mean, that's simple enough. <laughs> He's wondering why the Silver Surfer hasn't combined the last six months so he could trap him and siphon off his power. (laughs) So he's going out to check on it. You remember that after the big Galactus story and through most of the 70s, that's all Silver Surfer was, was a power siphon for Doom when he needed him. Yep. Yep. Like Doom knocking on Doctor Strange's door saying, Candy Graham, Strange opens it and he punches him. Problem solved. <laughs> All right. Anything else? In the Sandra is butthurt again category. <laughs> I cannot believe that Marvel is giving an ongoing to a character named Reptile, whereas it's been over 10 years since we've had an ongoing for Namor. Namor it, will get his ongoing when he shows up in Eternals or one of these movies. Stan, so you're saying Reptile is going to show up in a movie? No, I'm saying that they realize that Reptile is kind of marketable because the kids that watched and liked Reptile on the goofy little... It was funny. It wasn't... I mean, yeah, it was say, for kids. Let's say the first time they've tried to push Reptile on anybody. Yeah. Now, now's the time for Reptile. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Why? I, I just. We here at Kingdom Cast Popcast would like to wish Reptile a happy. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> How in the world? I mean, I'm I'm looking at this decision from Marvel, and I'm thinking, you know, at this rate, they would rather give a two cell amoeba an ongoing than give Namor an ongoing because this is ridiculous. You could probably get more variants out of the two-cell amoeba. It's just, it is just annoying as heck to see the utter lack of interest by Marvel for their oldest character. As much as I and the listening audience would love to hear you go on about how Namor is not getting enough attention, (laughs) we're going to have to go ahead and end the program here. (laughs) Well, you could just add like an hour of of silence with nothing but like a a coffee pot boiling over and that would pretty much pretty much be my attitude with Marvel right now. I mean, seriously, what the f- <laughs> Thank you again to our sponsors <laughs> iviwatches.com. Enter the code kingdom to get a 25% discount at iviwatches.com. Thank you again to all of our contributors. Y'all are just awesome. Y'all are on top of it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And of course, Most importantly, thank you to you, our listeners. You've given us some phenomenal numbers for the past few weeks here, and please keep it up. Share us with your friends, share us with your enemies, share us with your goldfish. Just play the podcast (laughs) to anybody that 
is un- as a matter of fact, there's probably patients that are comatose in certain wings of hospitals that have no control over what they're listening to. So just go in and put headphones on them and just play us nonstop. If that doesn't bring somebody out of a coma, nothing will. Thank you all again. Seriously, we greatly appreciate it. Send your questions, your speculations, your comments, your opinions, any and everything to us over the internet. Kingdom Casts, that's Kingdom C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com and KingdomComics.com. Both Kingdom Casts and Kingdom Comics on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Let us hear from you any way you care to. Thank you so very much again. We greatly appreciate it. Stay warm. Stay safe. Sandra, do you have anything, any final words to say? And I, and I defy you. And no, no, you cannot say the words Namor or Submariner. Do you have anything to say before we hang, uh, before we leave? Yes. Feel free to write Marvel and express your opinion on all the gazillion of characters that deserve an ongoing Instead of this one. I think Squirrel Girl's right for a movie. I don't even uh, say Squirrel Girl. I, <laughs> I, I, Stan, I am just going to explode. <laughs> oh, my God. Albert, how upset are you about the Namor situation? <laughs> I'm livid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Albert. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say? <laughs> no, just watch the kid detective. Y'all like it. All right. Well, tell him good night. Good night, everybody. Good morning, everybody, because this is like day five of us doing this podcast. (laughs) I'm so glad we started early, quote unquote. (laughs) We'll be back. We'll be back this Tuesday with Pool List and WandaVision. Thank you all for listening. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thank you to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Cornelius Burroughs, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Hatcher, Charles Hickey, Ali Marceau, Joseph Koloski, Katrina Olstead, and Angela Pickett. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2021. All rights reserved. Did the I next finish bat- reviewing that thing? Yes, you did. I finished scoring it? Yeah, you gave it a score. Okay. You, then you talked about the backup story, yeah. <clears throat>